a lot of people have this preconceived notion like dude you grew up in like the rural area like a nice neighborhood like why are you fighting for a living like what are you doing and um and then even re in wrestling you know i would compete against all different people like i said and people from different areas and different ec you know economic places so i learned quickly that like that didn't mean anything like there was some really tough people that came from nothing some of the tough you know some of the toughest people i came across but then um i learned hard work another way yeah. you know and so i wasn't going to let anybody tell me they were tougher than me right you know i was i was the toughest right and i'm going to show you <laughs> Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. Jason here. I am sitting with Jesse Mooring. Jesse is an entrepreneur here in town, and uh, I had the opportunity to meet Jesse at a Wim Hof event where he's also an instructor, a breathworks coach, as well as some very other cool things. We're going to jump into his life a little bit today, and uh, he's going to help us explore this topic of wellness. And like most people who've gotten into some of the alternative treatments for certain things like inflammation, he has a very interesting story. So I thought we would uh, maybe just jump in at the beginning and let you start talking, my friend. Yeah, sounds Jersey good. Jersey boy, from yep. what I understand. Yeah, from Jersey. So good to be here, Jason. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome, my friend. Um, love listening to your uh, your podcast thus far, and um, just so great to be here. Thanks, man. I appreciate you coming up. I know it's a bit of a drive, but uh, the recording quality is always better in person. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't miss it, man. As soon as uh, you reached out and asked me, I was honored and just, yeah, like I said, so happy to be here and uh, chat with you. The pleasure is all mine, my friend. So uh, let's dive in, bro. So you um, obviously uh, Arizona now, but not right. originally. Yeah, you grew up out on the East Coast, out in Jersey. Yeah, right. I grew up in uh, New Jersey, in the northern part of the state, and yeah, grew up in the the sticks. I would say not the sticks, but in between um, New York City and the sticks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. But um, yeah, small town. Had my uh, two parents raising me. Had a younger brother, older brother, and older sister. Um, good childhood. We were near, near woods and streams and got into some trouble, but, um, it was good. It was a good, good childhood. And yeah, one of the things, uh, yeah, that I remember most about my childhood is my grandfather and then my father gardening. Mm. And so we had a big garden in uh, Montvale, New Jersey. So you guys had some land out in New Jersey? I mean, we had, uh, it was about an acre, I believe. In okay. the first house I grew up in, in New Jersey, um, in Montvale, sorry. Hmm. And yeah, so a bunch of that was dedicated to a garden. And then we had rabbits too, about over 20 rabbits, like a cage running around. You, ra you raised them? I mean, I was, like I was a little or? kid. Yeah, they were pets. They, okay. I mean, they were mostly out in that cage. They were outside. Mm -hmm. They lived outside in their cage and they would dig tunnels, you know, underneath as anybody probably who has rabbits knows that that's what they do that and they poo a lot yeah 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 so uh so yeah a lot of time in the garden um running away from from chores to pull weeds from our father that was always fun <laughs> right um and yeah hanging out with the rabbits and my dogs and cats and so a lot of time outside mm -hmm. in the woods you know mountain biking things like that and um yeah had a my younger brother's three years younger than me and um, my older siblings were from my dad's first marriage. Um, so they kind of, I was born though, they were there, they were like brother and sister and they lived with us, um, most of the year and they went to Texas in the summers. Okay. Yeah. So you had, you had, uh, their other side of the family was out, down in, out in Texas then. Right. 
Very cool. Yeah. So you uh, you talked a little bit about um, you know kind of growing up sounds very rural, sort of idyllic. Right. And I grew up in a similar way, um, but it was down in Georgia. So we were you know we were in a house, we had some acreage, but we were kind of in a neighborhood. And I know that you have kids now, and I'm wondering how you think about the way kids are growing up nowadays. Like, I know looking back, man, I wouldn't have wanted to grow up any other way. We had the woods, we had four wheelers, we had, you know, animals, we had the whole nine, BB guns, you know, the rest of it. Yeah. But today it doesn't seem like uh, kids have the same opportunities to experience some of that stuff or at least they choose not to, maybe not. Right. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it comes up almost daily on my mind is like how to, with not only my children, but myself, but you know, the biggest concern is with the, the children and how to balance this world of technology and using it um, because it's part of our lives now and uh, not letting it run our lives and be too much. So, um, you know, I played video games growing up, but not that much. <clears throat> and I remember like the, when the Atari was out and the, I'm 39. And so um, I think Atari was a little, had already been out. And then the original Nintendo. Yep. And I remember being into that. But yeah, we were outside all the time though. So it's interesting now to see, um, yeah, the state of our society. And I'm really keen on learning from others about how they try to balance this. Um, and yeah, find that that balance, I guess, between like absolutely no technology or no TV and um, with also, or with trying to teach them about it. So, you know, we I limit my kids. They don't have phone my son's six and my daughter's four but already he's asking for a phone oh yeah he's asking for a phone yeah like, why do you want a phone and um you know so he likes video games but he's outside my kids are you know they can't even turn on the tv because i don't let them there's no remote you know it's kind of like um, i don't have regular cable you just kind of pull up through uh the ipad or the phone and you could cast you know movies and stuff like that you know netflix or um youtube tv for sure but yeah, so I use, I've started to use television only when I need it and then like trying to put on shows or stuff that's actually like educational because I feel like you can get a lot of knowledge. I know I, I've learned a lot from television. Yeah, TV is a, it's a, I think a super powerful medium and I think that's one of the reasons that makes it dangerous in the wrong hands, yeah. you know. Uh, you mentioned you don't have uh, cable in the house. I don't have cable in mine. I haven't had it for probably 10 years now, 12 years now. And honestly, dude, I don't miss it. Yeah. I don't miss it at all. Anything I need to know pops up somewhere. Right. Right. And then it's nice because you have that ability to filter what you see. It's, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to watch something, it's less, it's more conscious. Right. Cause I'm having to go through and find something that I'm interested in, or either I'm choosing to sit down and like you said, cast something that I'm interested in. Right. Completely. Yeah. yeah. Is that what is, was there a reason that you specifically got out of the TV game? Was it, was it to do with that or something else? Oh yeah. It was, um, it was a lot. To, I, had, I had wanted to cancel cable for many years. Um, and it just, in my previous relationship, that wasn't an, an option. You know, mm -hmm. the TV couldn't go. Oh no, really? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. My, my, uh, ex liked her shows. The TV couldn't go, but you could. Yeah. That, that was a sign. That was a sign of the, uh, <laughs> the different trajectories or, you know, the different, the different ways. Um, and so, yeah, so as soon as I got divorced, the TV went. Nice. Um, now, yeah, but like you said, I, I it's it's funny because now that I have YouTube TV, there I don't really watch anything. I pull up YouTube and I'll search for stuff, 
and then hear about shows and TV, but I'm, I'm almost not even utilizing. I'm almost thinking about canceling everything because mm-hmm. I don't even, you know, I'm paying for something I don't even use. Um, but, uh, but I utilize it a little bit here and there. Um, so I like having it on. I sometimes watch the, uh, you know, some sporting events and things like that occasionally. But yeah, I, I hear you. It's like you have to pick what you want. It's not just scrolling through yeah. random channels and seeing what's on because you got nothing better to do. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, I think it's a little less mindless when you actually have to, you know, do it the do it the way when you don't have cable. It's just too easy to flip through channels. At least that was my addiction. I guess you say one way I would numb out when I was, you know, not really feeling myself or feeling, you know, up to the task that particular day. Yeah. I just find myself like mind numbingly flipping channels oh, yeah. the next thing i know six hours is gone and i have done nothing productive man so and oh, it, I, I hear you you've been there i have been there you're bringing me back to uh an old guilty pleasure which is pretty embarrassing oh I yeah had. so in my early i want to i'm trying to remember how early it started i think even in high school i would come home when i didn't have wrestling practice or the i was usually always in sports and doing stuff but um it was definitely part of the year where i can't come home and just you know chill out and um, I would turn on Judge Judy. Judge Judy. And so I watched <laughs> Judge Judy like so much. And that was like my, it like, you know, generated this like home feeling to me as I grew up. And so even in uh, high school and post-college, I would throw that on all the time. And um, slowly it disappeared. Even when I, w- you know, even, even I watched that, even in my early, uh, late 20s, early 30s, I would always watch it. It was like just quick show, you know, 30 minutes. You can, you know get a little bit from it, but that was my go-to. And so the first time I watched it in years was two weeks ago. I separated my shoulder, my right shoulder. And man, I was just in like excruciating pain. Dude, how did you do that? I had to wait till the next day to get it put back in place. I didn't hear this story. How did this happen? So I've separated my shoulder. I've dislocated my shoulder three times in the last five, six years. Mm -hmm. Um, and each time they, it slips out of place. Like it doesn't get, it's not like I fall hard and it just like pops like completely out, just slips out of place. And I know something's off, but I don't really, you don't really feel it when it just separates lightly like that until about 24 to 48 hours later. Mm. Um, so, you know, you did something, but you're like, eh, I just like tweaked it, you know, something tweaked and I'll let it rest. And it'll be better. And then a day and a half later it comes usually the second night after it happens and it's just throbbing mm. pain. It, it doesn't go away. You can't, you can't sit anywhere, you know? And, um, I've never been one to suffer from like any type of chronic pain, like headaches or hear people with back pain. And, and, uh, this experience through these shoulder separations have given me a lot of empathy to what people go through in this chronic pain, because I'm somebody who can tolerate a lot of pain. And I have, you know, in short, intense, moments, I guess you could say. And I'm very familiar with pain, you know, but, um, that long throbbing, like nagging pain, it's a whole different beast and it wears on you. So you gotta really, um, really try to surrender to it, but it's hard. So anyway, so that night I put on some judge Judy, (laughs) (laughs) That's got taken back and then had a long night. I didn't sleep more. I don't think one minute. Um, and I was trying to pop it back in place all night long. And uh, watching YouTube videos, how do I get this back in? Is it out this way or that way? And holding weights on the bed. I don't really have any weights, but I was holding just like a water foot water bottle, letting it trying to get it fall in and pop it back in, and it just wouldn't happen. And so um, I did it. You asked how I did it. 
I was in one of my first group fitness classes um, at a great place, and I just uh, usually I do my training myself, and we can get into that later if we want. But I grabbed the cable, one of the cable machines. It's one of those newer cable machines that uses the air pressure. Okay. Um, And I just grabbed it and really took it too quickly to one side, and I left my arm a little bit extended, Mm -hmm. my right arm there, and that's what did it. And I just like moved too quick. I hadn't. I don't think I'd warmed up much and. Just did it. I felt a little tweak. I did the whole class and workout was fine. Just knew something was tweaked and that's how it came. So the next morning I was at in the chiropractor's parking lot that I know. He's an old neighbor of mine. Followed him in the door, you know, when he got there to open the place. And yeah, sure. Not, I mean, I knew knew what had happened, but it was out. And so that's put, tough, put it back man. in there for me. Yeah, that's that's tough. I think uh, you said empathy. That's the right word, man. We, uh, we had a similar thing happen this past week. Uh, Christina, my wife, she has never had back pain before. And for whatever reason, you know, just like you, some freak little thing, she tweaked something and kind of messed with one of her ribs. So she, she had this sort of feeling like she had a rib out. And, dude, she couldn't, you know, do anything. She didn't realize how debilitating back pain was. And so me, of course, being a taller guy who's done some really bad deadlifting form in the past, I've created some serious back pain. And uh, in that moment, she understood, like she, she understood how difficult it is to overcome something that is so debilitating that you literally don't feel like moving at all. Yeah. And she had never been there before, man. It's one of those things like if you, unless you've experienced, it's not like, it's not like a pain in your arm or your leg where you can say, okay, well, I'm going to go for a walk because my, you know, my arm's busted or, you know, I'm going to go, you know, do something, you know, slightly active, even though I have a bum leg or whatever. It's like, no, your back connects your upper to your lower body. You're just done. Right. And she had no concept of that, but, uh, <laughs> she, she, she found rough. out really quick this past week. Yeah. Oh, it was it's rough. rough. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That's tough. Pain is a, I feel like pain can be, um, a really good teacher, but it was really, it was really crazy because, um, how much, how emotional and what an experience it was for me because it was almost like joyous. Like the whole thing was so painful. And then I think with all my training, with the cold water and, and just all the training I've done over the years with um, uh, just breathing and, and acceptance and things like that, it was a whole, it was a really powerful journey for me. So talk a little bit about that. Let's unpack that. So when you yeah. say the pain was almost joyous, what does that actually translate to? Uh, so the pain, no, the pain wasn't joyous. Um, the pain allowed me to appreciate To experience more. the joy. Yeah, to experience the joy. Because it was so, it was just like, I was like, wow, even the last two times, you don't remember how painful it is until you're there. So as it, at once I realized my shoulder was out of place, um, you know, it was too late to go see that it was like 6, 7 p.m. at least. And I go, oh, I, this is this is out. This is what's happening because I've experienced this before. It's been a few years, but <clears throat> this is going to be a long night. And I kind of remember what I went through, but maybe this time it won't be so bad. That's what I kept telling myself. It's not going to be this bad. I'm going to get it back in. I'm going to. I'm going to YouTube videos. I'm going to watch. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get this thing back in. I can do it. <laughs> you know, You're committed. Yeah, I was committed. I was going to make, I was going to pop that thing back in, like whatever I took, you know, like they do in the movies where he like slams their, <laughs> they slam their shoulder against the wall. <laughs> right back in. You seen that? I have, dude. It's yeah. crazy. So that's what I was going to do. And, um, but yeah, so then the pain just kept and then it would, it would subside, you know, I would kind of get in a position where it was like a little bit less excruciating and less uh, painful, and then uh, and then it would come back, you know, just throbbing. I walk, around, I was just walking around my place and trying different things. So it was this whole journey of like almost like um, 
yeah, really testing your ability to accept and sit with pain and deal with it. Just deal with it. You know, there's nowhere to go. You're not going anywhere. Um, you can't sleep. You can't, you know, what are you going to do? So when the morning time came, I almost like was in like tears of joy of just like, like, oh my God, like people live this way all the time and have this pain and I'm just going to be so grateful just to not be in agonizing pain when this thing gets popped in and I'm almost there. I see the sun. I saw the sun rising. I'm there, you know, and I've been here before, but it was a really, it was like a, a reminder kind of that I needed at the right time. So it was, that's what I mean. It was so joyous when I, I knew, okay, like I'm going to get through this and it's going to be okay, but it's going to suck. And, uh, and then, yeah, the, you know, my chiropractor, he didn't even realize I was trying to tell him, Hey man, this is like, I can't thank you enough because, um, you know, it was a long night and he's like, yeah, I could tell, you know, he's, and he, he did some really, really painful trigger points cause he was trying to retrain the muscle, you know, so he was digging into everything that was out even after he popped it in. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, that was, it was just a really powerful lesson in appreciation and gratitude for life that I get to, I'm sitting here with you. I'm not in any pain. I'm feeling good. I'm healthy, you know, and that, um, most days I am and I feel great. And this like kind of smacked me in the face and said, like, be more grateful. Yeah. So it's almost like it gave you a nice little contrast between, Hey man, wake up to all the things that are good. Cause it could be this. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I feel good. Yeah. I feel, I do. I'm a, I'm kind of a, on the feel good. I feel like my level of happiness, maybe I'm lucky enough or, um, where I tend to fall in. Like I wake up happy, not much, you know, gets me in that worse, you know, like the feeling bad, you know, it's hard to get me to feel bad, but yeah, I felt bad. Yeah, dude, I can, I can, you know, when you meet someone, you can kind of tell, you know, you kind of get a sense for who they are. And, um, I have this little theory, like, you know, the more light I see in someone's eyes, the more happy I think that person generally is, the more sort of switched on they are. Right. And like the first time we met, I saw light in your eyes and you were telling me, I think I met you through Michael at another seminar. Yeah. And uh, you were telling me a little bit about your story even then, but even then you were, you were switched on. I could tell, you know, you had this energy about you that was positive. And I think we even hugged it out on that first meeting. Yeah. You know, it's just cool yeah, to I run into people either. that, yeah, you know, that, that understand that, you know, this too shall pass kind of a thing. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, that's so cool. So is this, uh, does this injury come from like, uh, your days of wrestling? Because where you were a wrestler most of your life, right? So yeah, I started, um, I started wrestling in New Jersey, of course. That's where I lived for until I was 18. And um, my my dad had wrestled briefly when he was in college. He'd just been introduced to it when he was at, at school. And um, luckily, it made a big impact on him, and he brought me in. And the, the, the town that I grew up in for some time was like this mecca of wrestling. Out of Jersey? Mom, yeah, when my mom went to high school. Uh, she went to high school in Pascack Hills, New Jersey, at Pascack Hills, New Jersey, in Montvale. And so they had um, just a lot of successful wrestlers, a really well-known coach um, who was a mentor of mine. I still remember him. He's just uh, this just this amazing guy. I haven't seen him in so many years, Bucky Rehane. Really, uh, any anybody from New Jersey probably listens like, oh, I know Bucky, yeah, <laughs> he's the man. So I started young, and... My older brother wrestled. I watched him on the mat, and my my dad and my older brother were trying to get me into it. And uh, I was like four. I didn't want anything to do with it. I'm like I just I'm sitting here like 
coloring in my book, you know, or doing whatever I was doing, picking my nose. I don't know, <laughs> looking out. Want to be outside? You were probably too with the bugs. Care. Yeah, I was too under here, and they told me um, that they had purchased the singlet, you know, the uniform you wear, and it was uh, it was controlled by my dad's computer at home. He had one of those old school like IBMs, you know. Okay, so they're messing with you with this. So yeah, because I didn't want to do it. They thought it was maybe my fear of losing or not doing well. So they created this story that the singlet, it was called auto singlet, was an automatic singlet, right? That would control your body. Nice. And I was four and I believed them. And they're showing me like typing or, you know, trying to make it real. Put it on and I put it on and like jumped around. I'm feeling like, you know, just unbeatable, just powerful, you know? And so they had messed with me a bunch. It was a bunch of, I think, things they messed with me at a young age that kind of like live inside of me now, like, this um yeah so they so I, I believe i had this power because of the singlet signed up for the tournament i was excited i'm like i can't i'm just gonna dominate everybody <laughs> you know <laughs> like four and a half and i and the first tournament that i went into nobody showed up in my weight class i think it was 44 pounds maybe i have like the picture still with me at the top of the podium nobody else nobody else <laughs> yeah just at the first place <laughs> thing so that's uh i gotta i should hang that one up it's good um but yeah so then <clears throat> the next the next match or tournament i went in i lost and yeah, there was some malfunction with the computer. Was it? Oh, was it? Wasn't connecting. There was no Wi-Fi there then, <laughs> so I don't know. I wasn't smart enough to to pick that that one apart. But yeah, so that's kind of funny how that started. But then I started to enjoy the sport. I was really good at it, and so it really beca- it really developed some really I think uh, grit and work ethic because I just kind of like did a lot of stuff on my own um, as a young kid, and I started to wrestle, and I would go to the elementary school didn't have a wrestling program the middle school did so i'm assuming my parents had asked if i could come up and train and they they had known bucky rehane who was then the had dropped down from the maybe the high school to the middle school to help out coaching there to start their program Mm -hmm. so i would take the bus to school and then i take the when school and then i take the bus from the elementary school to the middle school all the kids would get on i would get off and go to the middle school practice for when i was in first grade and second grade i would practice with fifth through eighth graders and I was this little squirt and everybody <laughs> would laugh at me you know and I didn't know I didn't you know you're that age you get laughed at you don't like it you know and I got um I definitely had like maybe I don't want to say like tough guy but like I just I didn't like people messing with me you know mm-hmm. and um <clears throat> so I would go practice I would do my like put my head down practice listen fo- you know focused on the practice I enjoyed it and just wanted to like just do practice and then we'd have our meets and I'd go out there, you know, against sometimes eighth graders, tall, skinny, like, you know, sometimes eighth graders are like six, you know, six foot, five. Yeah, I was six foot and five foot. Yeah. Tall. Yeah, for sure. And, um, I was this little squirt. So literally the whole team, they would be laughing at me. I'd come out and I would, I was good. You know, I was, I would wrestled and had some skill at that age and I had wrestled in the off season. So I came with like more skills and training. So I never lost a match. Wow. And that built confidence in me, but also like grit and like, I don't want to say respect for others, but like when you're that person being mocked too, it does something to you. It doesn't, you don't want to make fun or put down about other people. So that was like something I learned at a young age through that, Mm -hmm. through, uh, you know, kind of being, I don't want to say picked on, but you know, made fun of, laughed at. So that was a powerful lesson. So I would go, yeah, every day, man, I would go do my training, wrestle, win, and, you know, get my medals. And I was, you know, 
proud and then go home and play with my cousins, my brothers, my sister, kind of really with my, you know, family. I don't remember too many. I had some play dates and stuff like that, but that was kind of my routine. So wrestling really was like at the forefront and kind of early childhood that really helped me develop discipline and hard work. And um, yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. I love the story about the, the singlet, man. That's, that's amazing. And as you were telling me that story, I immediately went to this place in my head where the power of belief takes over. And you mentioned a couple of times that you carry the stories that your family gave you with you. And I'm wondering if you could speak to the power of that in your adulthood, because that simple analogy of you as a child believing that this computer could somehow make you wear this singlet and, and perform in a certain way. I think that's the way a lot of our early childhood programming works. Yeah. And I'm wondering what you've seen in your practice. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely, I, I often think that because, um, I do have this inner belief, you know, in myself and, um, and you go back and you're like, Oh, did it, is it, is it inherent? And like, you know, you're born with some of this stuff and then it develops or, you know, how it does. But I definitely find that, that, uh, me questioning and looking back at some of, um, those early childhood things, my, uh, another one that's pretty funny and I this came up with my daughter just the other night because I was thinking about reliving it or passing it down to her but you know you play with okay am I going to be honest and and completely truthful right is it like an an honesty authentic thing or am I gonna is this in in the spirit of fun and their development you know and so one of the things um that my parents my whole family went in on this with me was that um I can look at them and open up my eyes, really like look at them like that. And I had the power to move them. And I had this strong power. Like if like I a look, superpower. if I looked at them like a certain way, they would fall. <laughs> and I mean, this is a young, early age, probably three. I'm going to, I'm going to have to ask my, uh, my dad about this, but, um, but so he really pushed it. So my older brother and sister were in on it. And so my dad sat me down and had a talk with me and he said, you know, you have this power, but you can't go around just using it you know, you have a strong power, you're gifted and you have to, you can't look at people this way because your eyes and the power that come from you are so strong. <laughs> so, although I believe this to be true and they, it, you know, it was definitely exaggerated. So they, uh, yeah, they would literally move and I would look like that. I would think, I thought I was, you know, some kind of superhero. So I think that's still inside me mm-hmm. for sure. And I take that with me and, you know, and, uh, I don't know if that answers your question specifically, but yeah, it kind of does. I mean, it touches on this idea, I think, um, of how stories, the stories we believe really become our realities, right you know. and something as simple as you being told as a child that you have this power to look at someone and move them. Yeah, man, years later, I mean, how does that manifest itself? Like when you go into a meeting, when you're looking at people yeah, and you have this confidence that what you want to have happen is going to have happen. I think that's super powerful. Yeah. It's, cr- it's so interesting to look back to. So I, <clears throat> you know, I shift the stories a little bit because I think like, you know, getting the whole family, like we're going to fall over if you look at us a certain way, like that's a little much. <laughs> I'm not going to do, I'm not ready to do that. But, um, you know, the power of the mind and our thoughts and it's just insane. And I have some belief in that, right? That we don't, we don't practice certain parts of our mind. We're not harnessing, you know, that because we don't need to. Mm-hmm. And so we definitely have more abilities than we know. Um, and so, yeah, what, what does it look like if we start to practice moving energy and things? And that's what my practice has developed in, into or part of it, um, which, yeah, which you flash back to childhood. I remember myself, my older brother, who I told you about, and um, 
my sister or maybe my younger brother, I forget, but we're around a, uh, we're around a Ouija board, you know, and we weren't even putting our hands on it. And we, he, he, my older brother told us a story about people can move things with their minds, you know? So we have like little crumpled piece of paper in between three of us. We're all staring at it, trying to make it move. You know, this is from when I was four or five years old. So by the time I got to like, even a teenager, I was into, I was drawn to, uh, like guided meditation type stuff, like mm -hmm. moving all that energy type of movement was in my realm. And I was always like drawn to it, you yeah. know? So it's interesting looking back and I was distracted in many ways and taken away from that. And now it's, it's come back in. Totally. It's, it's amazing. Um, that aspect of life that you carry with you from childhood. I, I remember, um, uh, going to church as a kid, right? Like my parents, we had to, my dad would always make us go to church, right? And, and we hated going to church because we had to get up early on Sunday morning, wear clothes we didn't like and sit in and listen to some guy that we didn't want to listen to. And, but one of the things that from the Christian tradition is this idea that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. I'm sure you've heard that. Yeah, and I remember beautiful. sitting there like in the pew as a kid thinking, I know I have faith as big as a mustard seed right? Why can't I move a mountain, right? Why can't I not do this? But I was believing this story literally rather than taking it as, you know, an, an analogy for what it could be, right? Like a small thing can create big results, right? which is really what the story is about. But as a kid, that story was so powerful that I believed it and I would sit around and I would try to make things move because I had faith. <laughs> yeah. It's just amazing, bro. But like, it's, yeah, it's true. You know, yeah. can you move, can you move the little mountain? Well, maybe not, but you can move even things that are, are bigger than that, really. Yeah, you can have an impact. Right, right? exactly. Right? It's not, not about moving a physical object with your mind. It's about what impact can you have with your beliefs, I think. Exactly. That's kind of what I take away from it. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm... Yeah, for sure. And so, like, to. but the, the thing is that uh, your, your, um, your singlet, right, your special singlet got you all the way to college, the collegiate level wrestling, right? Yeah. And what was that experience like? Yeah, so... Um, so I went through high school and played some other sports, but really focused on, on wrestling. And that's what I was drawn to and what I was succeeding in. And it became just like a really a passion of mine. I wanted to win a state title and, um, and then go on and wrestle in college and win a national title. That was, those were some, a few of my goals. And, um, I did, I fell short of those goals. I made it to the state tournament in New Jersey two years in a row and, and placed in the top eight, um, both years. Um, and won some regional titles and county titles and so had some good accomplishments and, and taught me a lot and I learned really at a young age also that I would notice the the kids and the teammates who would um, who would give in to pain and discomfort you know we'd have the drills that would be hard and I'd just hear moans and moans and at an early age that started to like motivate me for some reason like I'd hear you know my teammate oh this is so hard and I just get a big grin on my face, you know? And so I like kind of learned that and I use that in my matches too, almost like, um, so I learned that, but I ended up going, um, wrestling was like a huge part of my life. And then I went to uh, school in Boston and started to wrestle and uh, enjoyed the practice. It was still something I loved to do, but I was starting to expose to so many different things, a new city and moving and like, and I'd moved once when I was 10 or 11, which I really think was a character building thing. I had to reset. I made my friend. Boom. Now you got you to gotta start over and rebuild. So that was a big, uh, 
that was a big uh, yeah, point for me too. Moving is, I think, kids, man. yeah, moving's powerful, but it, it really can, I think, it could probably do, you know, both. It could probably go both ways, I'm sure. If, if, uh, but it, I think it built my character and really gave me confidence that I could just restart and be myself and, and, uh, you know, connect to myself and use who I am to make friends and, and feel at home. But when I went to school, it was kind of a similar college. It was a similar feeling. It was all, you know, I'd gotten so comfortable in my, my bubble mm-hmm. of my high school, my family, and and my friends, right? And then bam, I'm in a new, new school. And I thought I had wanted to go to a big city school. You know, there was a lot of smaller schools. I'm like, no, I want to go to a big school. And, um, I was, you know, from somewhat of a small town in high school, maybe 800 kids at the high school, not super small, but, um, but so yeah, that was a test. So I started to kind of question everything. Why I was doing this? Why am I, why am I dedicating? I got to wake up. I got to train in the morning. I got to, um, go through class and then I got to go to a prep practice for three hours and then a mandatory study hall, you know, it was division one, really serious, you know, and, uh, and so I started to kind of question, like I was spending all this time and energy. My diet was terrible. Really? I was, I was eating, um, I was wrestling at 141 and, uh, you know, I weighed like 155, but I was bigger than I, than I am now. Even I was more, you know, more muscular and, um, I couldn't stay awake through any of my classes. I was eating. It was extremely disciplined. So like if I got on a program, like that's what I was doing. So I was, I was eating metrics. You remember metrics? I do. Yeah. Um, so I was having metrics for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's it. And I was having some eggs in between Jesus and Christ. some other stuff. Right. I was running like six miles a night with my, my, my uh, college roommate freshman year, five to eight miles a night. Like every night we would run and we're like, we're going to outwork everybody. We're going to grind. You know, I had like the ultimate grinding mentality. Like you will not outwork me. I will outwork everybody and I'm going to get up and, and school was like second. I was asleep. So I'd be woken up in, in lecture halls of a hundred people in front of everybody. I was passed out. Where did, where did that mentality that you're going to just grind past the world come from? I I didn't hear that. Like in your upbringing, it sounds so idyllic and yeah, you know, what's interesting. Obviously there's some competition with the wrestling, but yeah, what's interesting is that my, cause yeah, my, my, uh, you know, we were, we had a nice upbringing, got what I needed and what I wanted, had a nice house. Um, you know, my parents, I was fr- from a young age, it was like that I didn't want any help, you know? So my mom was always like, Hey, can I get you this? Can I get you that? No, I'm doing it on my own. Like back off, you know, don't do that. So I always had that like really, as a kid. Yeah. So I pushed against what they were trying to give me. I didn't want help. I wanted to do it myself. Um, you know, so that was a big thing is that I didn't want to, my, yeah, did, did want to do it to myself. So I really took pride in working hard and the accomplishments that I had that, that, that were the hardest to get at a very young age. I knew that's where it was like the harder you, the more effort you put into something, the better it feels. And so I don't want any help, but I knew we were, you know, I was in a, a nice town with, lived in a nice house, and I would meet a lot of kids and in, on my wrestling journeys across the country because I went to, I would travel sometimes out of state, and I would travel to different parts of the country. Oh, you live in Montvale? Like, we live, you know, we live in, you know, in Patterson, like, or in Newark, or like, the, you know, just kids that were way um, not as well off. So I kind of quickly formed almost like a negative for, ha- for coming from a family that was somewhat successful mm-hmm. and had some money, you know, we weren't like, like, like roll- we weren't rolling in money or like, you know, but 
you know, my dad was successful and, um, and made good money and, you know, did well. And my mother, my mother probably, I probably dedicate her with really where a lot, like a lot of the hardworking grind came from because she, she's probably one of the hardest working women I know. And she worked, um, two and three jobs when she was working two and three jobs when she met my father. Um, she worked for a car deal, a car manufacturer and then a, uh, or a clothing store or something. And then a, and then a waitress at a diner. And so my dad would bring us in to, or sorry, my older brother and sister, he would bring them into the diner and that's how they first met, I believe. But, oh, wow. but, uh, but she, her, her mother passed away when she was 17 of cancer. Mm. And so she was basically, and her role was basically like mom's, like she was at her mother's deathbed she was taking care of her younger two brothers and uh her dad was busy with other stuff and and uh so she had this like real you know she's really tough really she tough is. woman she is. Well, I had the opportunity to meet yeah her. you yeah. met her yeah awesome she's a amazing plug, woman man. so i think that was just boom like ingrained in my soul too when i you know when i came from her, you know came from her so so it sounds like there is almost like a like maybe a guilt component in there though. Like if you, you know, you didn't have to struggle as much as some of these other kids or whatever. Yeah. So it's almost like you, you felt like you had to prove yourself. Yeah. I can work just as hard or harder than you. Oh, exactly. You know, that became a big, you're, it's, it's like coming to me now because uh, <laughs> it, it became a big part of my motivation because I would, I would, and then, you know, after wrestling, I went into fighting. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people had this preconceived notion, like, dude, you grew up in like the rural area, like a nice neighborhood. Like, why are you fighting? for a living like what are you doing and um and then even in wrestling um you know I would compete against all different people like I said and people from different areas and different you know economic places so I learned quickly that like that didn't mean anything like there was some really tough people that came from nothing some of the tough you know some of the toughest people I came across but then um I learned hard work another way you know and so I wasn't gonna let anybody tell me they were tougher than me. Right. You know, I was, I was the toughest Right. and I'm going to show you and I'll do it. You know, that's the mentality I have. And it's still like in me, but I've let go of that a little bit because you know, that tough guy thing, Yeah. it hides other stuff too. And that's kind of what I've learned, it, you know, most recently probably in my life, but I had the, um, yeah, that just that, uh, that idea that I was going to yeah do whatever it took and nobody was going to break me. And that was a big part of my coaching. I had the, I had a pleasure to train with some really amazing coaches and part of their training was, yeah, just mental, like mentally breaking somebody and not, you know, staying strong and that, that mental toughness. So what's the toughest training that you went through? Would would you say? It became though, as I, as I grew older, it became, um, overtraining almost. So it was like too much. So I had that component of, you know, tough pushing yourself. But I think like uh, many athletes, that are at the top of their sport, especially in competitive, uh, uh, in martial arts type things or, or one-on-one type sports. Um, people have that toughness. They have to be there. In order to be there, they have to have that, you know? And that's, a lot of times they say that's not, you know, something you can't teach. It's something you just develop and have, I think. Um, and I don't know how I feel about that, but, um, but some of the toughest training, it started coming where I would, you know, I would train and have trainers that would push me, you know, you'd get pushed to the breaking point over and over and over again, you know? Mm -hmm. So you're just, you're just making your body expend maximum energy for as long as you humanly could, you know, humanly 
possibly can do that, you know? So I think that's probably some of the, a lot of the, you know, specifically not, um, there's a lot of training, but just in, in simple terms, I think a lot of the training that, um, you know, uphill treadmill sprints, those are tough just mm-hmm. over and over and over again until you burn out until failure yeah. and you're really giving it all, you know, you learn that that breaking point is in your mind quickly. Mm-hmm. So that's what, that's the connection I, I learned early, but I wasn't, um, but it was really just about that breaking point and, uh, yeah, on that aspect of things. Um, is, is that why you wanted to do more with the physical side and go um, like into the MMA thing? Is it, was that kind of the springboard that you yeah, felt so, like you hadn't challenged yourself enough? Yeah, well, so what happened was is that I went, so I, I left high school right with unattained goals and I didn't, I don't want to say I felt like a failure, but I still, I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve, you know? And I knew I was capable of more in that sport and that's what my focus was on. So I, uh, I wrestled yeah, my freshman year at Boston University and the um, the I was supposed to be 141 and they had recruited a, a 30, 133 pounder and um, really high level top he was the top recruit of our class he was a five time Massachusetts state champ awesome really? guy really wow. awesome awesome wrestler um, and so he ended up not making his weight and I was supposed to be the starting 41 pounder so he had to he had to move up to 41 and um you know, I always love being the underdog, like probably a lot of people, you know, it's like the pressure's not on you and you want to prove somebody wrong. That's it. And you know, so the second he came out, I'm like, no, no, <laughs> like I'm from New Jersey. He's from Massachusetts. I started, you know, just to paint the picture in my head, yeah. like I'm from Jersey. Jersey wrestling is way, but you know, just telling just, yourself that just story, myself, man. Not, yeah, I mean, I believed it and, yeah. and just telling myself, no, he's got no shot. Like he's not, he's not, doesn't, he doesn't know what, it, what I'm going to bring, you know? So anyway, yeah. um, I ended up beating him in the wrestle offs. So that was a big, like confidence booster, you know, um, for me is like, okay, here's this five time state champion. I didn't win the States. That doesn't mean anything. Like right. your past is your past. If you beat someone who let did. it go. Yeah. Let yeah. it go. So that was huge. But then, you know, the whole questioning of what I was going to do with my life, right. really, it, it, it kind of got real because I was like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I got a, I got a scholarship to wrestle. I'm here at the school, but what the hell am I doing? What's next? What's after what's after wrestling? Like I've learned all this stuff. I know what wrestling's about. And then what, what about all this other stuff? I can't even, what do I, what am I into? What am I, you know, what are my interests, you know? And, and I started realizing I was very into health and performance and wellness and politics, um, a bit, but really questioned. I was very regimented where I trained a lot. So I had a great childhood and upbringing in high school, but I sacrificed a lot while everybody's out partying, you know, I'm training. I'm not, I'm not even eating, you know, I'm sacrificing, sacrificing. And so you give up a lot as a, as a young man when when you're training for something physical like that, for sure. Right. Yeah. So, so I really had kind of a, a, um, an epiphany, but just, yeah, really just was really internal and thinking about what I wanted to do with my life. What was my purpose? You know, where I was going to go, what I was going to do after school. Mm -hmm. And, um, and didn't know. And so I decided that I was going to take a break from the sport. And I was, um, you know, I was just burnt out in the cold weather too. And <clears throat> I had an aunt and uncle here in Arizona. And that's, um, and I started having dreams of palm trees. Dreams of palm trees. Started looking up on the computer, what, you know, 
different places to live, different places to go. I'd been on the East Coast in the cold weather. I was just like done with the cold or the lack of sunshine. I would go on vacation and then I'd come back and be like, all you'd think about on the East Coast was like spring break, when the next, when's summer coming, you know? Right. I need, I want warm weather and sunshine, you know? And that's nice though, because you, I think a lot of them definitely appreciate when it get when they get a sunny day oh, yeah. or, you know, the summers and things like that. But I knew I wanted that and that's kind of slowly shifted um, my trajectory. And so I gave up my, uh, I redshirted, you know, I never ended up going back to wrestling in college after my, uh, my sophomore year. Oh, so you just walked away. Yeah. Just walked away. And you came, came out to ASU. Came to ASU. Came to ASU. Okay. And that's when I started to, uh, to fight. Um, I was the, the boxing club president at ASU and started amateur boxing. I started boxing back in Boston because I knew, you know, I was skilled in one combat sport and didn't like the respect people didn't give wrestling as a martial art. Nobody called wrestling a martial art. And I'm like, you know, it bothered me. It's like, this is one of the, this is a great, mar this is a martial, this is an art form, you know, and people, oh, it's just wrestling. Did you do martial arts? Oh no, you just wrestled. Right. It's like, what? Like there's no skill involved. What? Like yeah. this is like, you, you know, so, um, that's not still that same way though, is it? I mean, I think nowadays I don't think, yeah, there's I think a tremendous respect. Like yeah. if you come in as a wrestler, people know you're going to be at yeah. least gritty and hard. Right. Yeah. There's more of a respect for sure. Yeah. And like, I've all, I've also changed. Like I got exposed to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in Boston when I was at BU and I was like, wow. And I was exposed to before watching the ultimate fighting championship with my dad when I was 10 or 12, you know, and, um, so inspirational to see the great hoist Gracie and the Gracie's just beat. That was amazing. Beat the best martial arts in the world, you know, martial artists in the world, maybe some of them. Yeah, well, the interesting thing about uh, the first time I saw Gracie was I think I was starting in college and it was some replay of an old UFC, right? And it was the one, I forget who he was up against, but he basically spent the entire match upside down on his shoulders. He had this guy in this lock with his legs and basically just stayed persistent throughout the course of the match until the, f the guy finally just wore out and he submitted him. Right. And I was just blown away by that because there was hardly a punch thrown. Like he just smothered the guy, got him locked up and kept him locked up in a match of like 15 minutes or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of my, that was kind of some of my wrestling and journey on myself. And then growing up, I had a whole nother, um, I guess, side that really impacted my childhood, which was my, um, my older brother mm. and sister who I grew up with my uh, my sister was 10 years old is 10 years older my brother was 5 years older and when we had moved towns he was in high school at the time so i was 10 when i moved schools and it was right before it was going into middle school so it was going into 5th grade so i started a fresh new school you know it wasn't mm -hmm. he was i think in the middle of early high school or like maybe sophomore year or something that's tough man yeah that's and he really was tough. and he was already he was different you know mm -hmm. he, i think he was socially um different he'd been moved around and i think had other uh had been affected maybe is my my best guess at, at his uh at the separation you know his, his mother lived in texas and my mom who was such a great mom to him though started to raise him but then they would travel back and forth so i think there was a lot of like undealt with issues mm -hmm. you know that that kind of made him a little socially awkward I think. And, uh, so he's different. Never had a lot of friends. We were his best friends, you know, so we would play, he would love to videotape and make movies and stuff of us growing up and we would be the actors and he would be the, the director. Right. right. You know, so we have the funny, I got to find these videos, man. It was like, there's hours of hours of footage, 
acting, playing different scenes, you know, so he was a huge part of my childhood. And then I started to see him really struggle. It was, it was bullies that he was going to fight and stand up to this bully. I would go to school and I'd be thinking about it the whole day. You know, I wonder if he's okay, like what happened. And, and so that was like played through, you know, and then he was right out of high school when I came in, but, um, you know, always like worried about him Mm -hmm. a little bit. And then, uh, and then, so that was kind of a, under, you know, an under, like an undertone, undertone of my, of my upbringing. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, that kind of changed my mentality, just wa- you know, watching him and, uh, him being a little different. I was very popular. I had a lot of friends and mm-hmm. it was easy for me to make friends. That was never an issue, you know? And then, uh, and then to see him struggle on that social, social side of things and see how difficult it was for him. It really affected me. sounds like there's a part yeah. of you that almost wanted to defend him or like put him on a pedestal, let him see who he was in a way. Yeah. No, I think for sure. Absolutely. That's tough, man. Yeah. So you, I think you said you, you may have lost him recently. So he passed away in, uh, in 2018. Yeah. So about it just over a year ago. Wow. Um, wow. So yeah, we lost him. He, uh, so he went on, he went on, went, went to a, a good school, got a good education and then, um, started to, you know, mess around with more with alcohol and drugs and it did something to his, his, I think with his makeup, whatever was going on, it brought out something and he had some psychotic episodes, I think early, like post, post, uh, graduating from, from college with a, with a great degree and Mm -hmm. had some psychotic episodes and then, uh, got on medication for that. And then the medication had side effects. He slowly got really heavy and uh over the course of probably 10 years you know he gained he was he he gained a lot of weight so he was really big you know really big um and such a night you know always so so gentle and lived in he almost had this like um i want to say like autistic like savant not autistic savant type ish to him because he would He's so smart. He'd come out with these facts and you'd check it and he'd be right. You'd be like, how the f- like, did he really know that? And then on the other side, he would say stuff that was completely delusional. Like, you know, I'm thinking about becoming a bodybuilder. Like, well, you know, he'd be like 350 pounds, like <laughs> pure fat. Like, right. Like, I think I'm, look, Jesse, feel my leg. He flexes his leg. Do you see how strong that is? You see how much muscle is? I'm like, Jim, are you serious right now? And he'd be like, yeah, what? What are you talking Like, dead serious, you know, dead serious. Yeah. But so, uh, so anyway, yeah, his health deteriorated, you know, over time. So that was like, mm-hmm. you know, mourning his loss. So this was, it's only until lately, you know, after his passing and leading up to it, really after his passing, you know, that I've really realized the impact that he had on me in bringing me to the area of, of wellness and healing and health because, and I didn't even know it, you know, at the time why I was so drawn to this and it's been like what I've been you know, the, the stuff I've done since then we'll get into, but it's really been uh, a big focus of my life. Um, and now I look back, I'm like, oh man, like he's the one that is the reason why I want to be doing this. Right. And what was also what drew me to this um, as well. So he was kind of like your pivot point, it sounds. And I know that, um, you know, you you came out of the college world and at one point got into the business world, started your own businesses, became an entrepreneur. And when I met you, uh, you and a partner had begun the process of creating a new business 
Um, and it's all based in wellness, right? The whole thing is based in wellness from my understanding of what the services are that you guys are going to be providing. Um, so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what that transition is like and, um, you know, really what you hope to bring into being from this particular venture that you're going into. Right. Yeah. So the, uh, the business Michael and I, uh, have started is a human optimization center and we're bringing in really natural modalities to help people connect deeper with themselves and with the community to have vibrant health. You know, whether, um, you're a high level athlete, you know, which I think is our low hanging fruit, the, the high level athletes and the people that are in this space or, or, familiar they know about a lot of these uh modalities or many of them but a lot of the people that are dealing with stress every day which is really almost all of us were you know removed from our natural environment i think that we're meant to be in outdoors and connected to nature and we're dealing with just constant thoughts going through our heads and worry and you know the technologies coming at us all the time so i think there's a real need in our uh, society now for some really effective and powerful healing techniques um, that can be accessible to everybody um, for just building your resiliency to stress. So the center called Optimize is uh, going to open in about a month in Phoenix in the Arcadia neighborhood. And we're going to have, um, besides classes, which we're going to utilize uh, breath classes combined with meditation and sound healing, as the basis for our, our classes, we're, we have uh, a handful of equipment too, uh, and we'll be utilizing and training people and developing programs specifically for them when they need it to utilize um, cold water therapy, um, heat through infrared saunas. We'll have hydrotherapy, uh, jacuzzis. We'll use ozone filtration, so it's really the highest end stuff, very sanitary. Um, we're going to use compression therapy also that moves the lymphatic uh system and almost like acts like a massage and works blood flow and really good for different things. And then we have uh, some other devices such as a meditative restorative sleep tool that gives you like a, a really deep meditation in a short period of time using uh, binaural beats and an electrical stimulation mm -hmm. that gets you in a really deep state of meditation. And like a lot of the, uh, <clears throat> a lot of the tests show um, like 20, 30 minutes of this device is the equivalent in many regards to like three hours of sleep really yeah not not all you know i never like to hear things oh yeah you can replace sleep like you can't replace sleep i don't no. think but but yeah some powerful tools so we're kind of mixing we are our centers based around the elements um and we are bringing in some modern technology you know to represent those elements and I'm a Wim Hof Method certified instructor, so that's going to be ingrained there. I also uh, am certified in the Butego Method, which is another breathing, systematic breathing uh, system, really powerful for... So talk a little bit about that one. I think yeah. that's one that um, a lot of people aren't familiar with. Okay. Um, what is it, uh, what, are, what are the methodologies around that breathing technique? Yeah, so uh, the Butego Method was named after uh, this doctor, Russian doctor, Konstantin Butego, and... Um, developed in the in the uh, mid 19th century I believe and uh, what it is was he was a doctor suffering from um, from some respiratory illnesses and conditions he had severe asthma 
And <clears throat> doctors at that time knew or started to know and, and talk about the fact that breathing was the way somebody breathed and the patients they saw, they could tell the way they breathed. It would indicate potentially a lot of uh, symptoms and other health symptoms they had. So they knew that, that breathing was a symptom of health. But what he um, came up with was that maybe, or postulated, was that maybe breathing was the cause. The way you breathe was the cause of your symptoms. Okay. And so he started doing tests on a lot of people when he was connected highly in the, the Russian government and got to open up and test a lot of people um, with these breathing modalities. And so the basis for it is to retrain your body how to um, tolerate more carbon dioxide. So where many breathing systems um, focus on um, breathing deeper, breathing more, you know, take deep breaths. Most people have shallow breathing. And mm -hmm. I think this is all true. Um, they kind of take uh, a different spin on it where um, <clears throat> they uh, look at and identify the fact that really the bigger problem is that people overbreathe and they're breathing too much. Hmm. Breathing too much. And when you breathe too much, you suppress carbon dioxide and have lower levels of carbon dioxide. And when your carbon dioxide levels are lower, your oxygen can't get from the blood into the tissues. And so when the, you know, when the blood travels through our, our veins um, and the oxygen is in our blood, the oxygen molecule um, is attached to the hemoglobin. And so the carbon dioxide allows an easier release of the oxygen molecule from the hemoglobin. If that CO2 is low, that oxygen doesn't get released into the tissues. And so this is why as you, you know, as we grow old and people are even near death at a very high age or maybe really not in bad health, you can put an oximeter on them. And most of the time, um, unless they're severely ill, like really severely ill, they're going to have like a high level of um, O2 content in their blood. They're going to really? be at like 96, 97%. Huh. Even if you're really sick and you got like a lot of issues, even if you got asthma allergies, you got, um, you know, a lot of problems. So, so is it that there's O2 in the blood that they can't use Yep. or, okay. Yep. You can't use it. So, okay. you know, we all know you look at somebody who's out of shape or bad of sign health is heavy mouth breathing, right? Somebody's mm -hmm. standing at the corner doing nothing and they're breathing heavily, right? You're yeah. like that person, that's a sign. We know that person isn't in a good, healthy, vibrant state of health. Right. Um, <clears throat> so we, what we do though often is, uh, you know, focusing on working the diaphragm and breathing deep is still a foundation of something that I teach. So I kind of take this method and combine it. Mm -hmm. I'll train it a little, but it's very <clears throat> systematic. It really doesn't have, doesn't bring in the emotional component okay. that a lot of the other breathing uh, methods do, trauma release, things like that. But what it does do is really powerful to um, systematically lower your, um, your need for oxygen and increase that carbon dioxide tolerance, which allows you to actually get more oxygen to your tissues. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's really powerful, really powerful for curing and healing respiratory illness. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of studies uh, with asthma. Um, and there was a lot of specials on it years ago, but of course there's not really, you know, money behind it. So sure. you won't find this in any asthma clinic. You need to give it a new sexy name. Yeah, right? you won't you won't find this in any asthma clinic, but there's been a lot of uh, light <clears throat> shed on it with a book called The Oxygen Advantage. The Oxygen Advantage. Yeah, okay. that's by Patrick McGowan, okay. and he's one of the most well-known Butego instructors, and he's kind of, um, you know, recommunicated it um, to the public, and he's a very, he's well-known, because I, I believe uh, 
XPT. I think Laird Hamilton has him at, at teaching some of his breathing uh, parts of maybe his programs. Okay. So when we when we look at the Wim Hof stuff, though, right, like the Wim Hof breathing is very deep, you know, very sort of primal almost. Right. Like, the you know, the, one of his things is we're not breathing enough. Like we're, like I think you guys said at the seminar, like we're people are breathing through a straw kind of a thing, right? So I'm assuming that the, the training for this is very different. Rather than having someone sit and take in really deep belly breaths, like in the Wim Hof method, what does the Patego method actually look like? Right. Um, yeah, so I like talking about the differences because it's really important to, I think, understand the purposes of the different systems. So the Wim Hof method, the purpose is not to retrain your breathing. Sometimes that's a, um, a symptom because you are working your diaphragm and your breathing muscles and you're holding your breath too in the Wim Hof method, but you're taking deep breaths. Um, you're really trying to tap in deeply to the inside workings, the nervous system, the trauma that's stored. You know, you're really connecting and going inside deeply on a physical, emotional level, right, with the Wim Hof method and that connected breathing. And at the same time, you're training and working that diaphragm in a deep way. So you're strengthening that muscle. Um, you're also expanding your lung bubbles and getting them to expand more fully, learning to belly breathe. Um, and you're also holding your breath. So you're playing, you're firing up the oxygen level and you're suppressing CO2, which long-term we don't want to do. We, this is a, a drill, right? We're doing temporarily. We don't want to do this permanently. Right. <clears throat> but, um, and then you're holding your breath to really get that CO2 to rise to a very high level and oxygen to go really low. So you're playing with these two extremes and that's really, I think the magic that differentiates the Wim Hof method from a lot of other connected, um, breathing techniques you find, um, in different, in yogic practice. And, you know, it's kind of a bunch of ancient yoga techniques combined into one and put together. Mm -hmm. But so that's the Wim Hof method, the, the Butego method, to your point, um, the training is a lot of, uh, very little breathing. Um, with easy breath holds. So there's a lot of breath holding, not pushing it to the extreme typically in most of the training, but taking your uh, standard breath hold. So if you do, um, if you, we call it the easy breath hold or the, the bolt score, the bolt test is your body oxygen level test. And you take just a normal breath in, normal breath out to neutral, hold your breath and you time yourself. And when you get the, you close your eyes, you go inside, when you get the first initial urge to breathe, that's your time. And the higher that score, the less health symptoms and chronic health issues you will have um, because the more oxygen is getting delivered to your tissues. And so the philosophy is, right, with asthma and even allergies, but asthma is a really easy one, is that your body is not getting the oxygen. You're, you have plenty of the oxygen in your in your blood, but the oxygen's almost stuck in the blood. And so your body's so smart that it's stopping you from breathing to get the CO2 up so the oxygen could release, hmm. right? So people are, are not able to breathe. It's like, this is because your, your body's really smart. It's stopping you from breathing so it could actually get the oxygen, wow. right? So... It takes time though, right? So it's, it's, it's a, you gotta be disciplined to put this practice in place and do the training day after day. And you don't, you, you see benefits if you've done it for, you know, a month straight, but pretty consistently. So 
uh, if I'm understanding you correctly, the the bolt test, right? The uh, if I'm if I take my time, and let's say my time is I don't know ten seconds or whatever. Right. My goal would then be to increase that. Right. As we go along. Exactly. And so, so the the method then allows me to increase that that hold is that what i'm saying yeah the easy hold so you want it and this would be the hold right when you're sleeping this is your body's natural um inclination to breathe okay and the body's natural inclination to breathe is not based on your oxygen levels at all right and that's why if we go in a room with with no oxygen and some other gases we our bodies don't get alerted but it's the co2 that alerts us so is that and we hold our breath that co2 rises that's what triggers us and gives us that pain to breathe and that's why Mm it's impossible to, you know, commit suicide, but holding your breath, it's not possible. Nobody's ever done it, you know, mm-hmm. can't do it. And that's your body's mechanism of CO2. That CO2 gets too high. You can't, you, you have to breathe. Um, so the method, like you said, it trains you to do breath holds and you follow it by very little breathing. So a lot of the exercises are basically being like a gatekeeper to hold your breath um, or to breathe lightly. Mm-hmm. And, and start to tolerate higher levels of carbon dioxide. Um, so I think it's one powerful method. I don't, I don't think it addresses um, a lot of the other things that you can address with breathing, um, but it's for, for correcting long-term breathing patterns. It's, I think, the best method that I've found um, to, to correct and tra- change your permanent breathing habits. So after studying that particular method for, I'm assuming that was your first exposure to, to breath work, what caused you to then take a look at the Wim Hof? Did you just see that it was incomplete or did you see something? No, you know, it was the reverse. I think I, I started the Wim Hof method oh, first. You did Wim Hof first? Yeah, I did okay. Wim Hof first. And I've, you know, I've read and studied a lot of yogic practices. Because mm-hmm. a, a lot of the Wim Hof breathing is kind of like Kundalini yoga, right? It's some of their pranayama um uh, it's, in, it's part of their, you know, a lot of pranayama techniques and, um, you know, pranayama is just the, just basically all these breathing techniques that, um, have been learned and trained with for so many years. So yeah. you look at, um, in Kundalini practice, a lot of the breath work is at the forefront of their practice. Um, and so one of their, yeah, one ancient Kundalini practice is this connected breathing where you deeply inhale, let it go deep, you know, keep it going, focus on the inhalation. But of course there's other techniques like the breath of fire is a very well known where you're focusing on the exhalation. But, uh, the Wim Hof method takes that connected breathing and then adds in breath holds, which are also, you know, ancient yoga techniques, but it, it has a very systematic way of combining them together. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I found the Wim Hof method first and it read about different breath holds and you read about ancient yogis who have, uh, what's the one, the crazy stat that I've read? It's uh, that, you know, if there were certain masters that only breathe once every every minute for, for eight hours or 10 hours straight, you know, just once a minute, and they would get themselves to this point. And that the master yogis, you'd only be considered a master if you could hold your breath for longer than five minutes. Mm. You got to that point, you reached, you transcended into another level because you had to, get to that point and so they were already on to this you know but they didn't necessarily put the science behind it and you know put all the um carbon no know what's happening with the carbon dioxide exactly or you know mm-hmm. um <clears throat> maybe they did i'm not sure though but but the butego method the doctor you know systematically studied this so the wim hof method though i was doing that very frequently 
and man, I really, it really taught me a lot because it allowed me to tap into emotions that I had suppressed for so long. I didn't even know were there and just get to this really deep state of meditation and feeling and understanding that I had not gotten before. The only other time I had gotten that was in few instances when I was in combat, in the cage, in the fight, in the heat of the battle where your life is on the line and you're just in this like euphoric transcendent place, right? That's just like out of body. And you're not like, you're not even focused on hurting somebody or, you know, you're just in this crazy place and you're so connected with yourself. And then years later, so I'd stopped that fighting, right? We didn't really get into that, but I had fought and, and would get into these deep places within myself. Then it stopped. Then I, then I stopped fighting. And it was like, I was like a drug addict without my drug of like, how do I get back to that place? And I was just really, you know, used to releasing massive amounts of adrenaline. Mm. And I was trying to push myself, you know, continue to push myself. And in my mid late thirties, I was trying to push myself and I started to get injured, you know? And, uh, so the Wim Hof method, wow, what a great way to produce adrenaline at will in a safe manner. You don't have to get punched. You don't have to, hit, you don't have to get hit. You don't have to hit anybody else. You just have to breathe. You know, it's great. And you and and then the cold water does the same thing, but in a different way. But um, but yeah. So the Wim Hof method really is a powerful practice. I started doing that a lot. Like I said, what I found was I was getting out of balance. Hmm. So I'm constantly seeking balance. I think like we probably all are in some way. Right. So, well, we'll define that for a second. So when you say when you're constantly seeking balance, what does that mean to you? Um, alignment, balance. Uh, and I'm somebody who, who gets into something. I kind of give it a good go and um, sometimes go all in on things. You know, when I started the Wim Hof method, I was like sold on this guy, believed in what his message was and what he could do. I tried it. I'm like, wow, I feel this. Got the 10 week. And I was religious. I was doing this thing every day. You know, if I missed a day, I was upset and it was hard. You know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't happening easy to miss a day. So I kept it up. Right. But that was my main form of breath work. And what I eventually realized after probably a year and a half of doing it was that there were things that were out of balance in my body. For instance, my, um, and, and not necessarily negative or positive. It's just the way it was. Um, you know, when you focus heavily and do, do so much inhalation, you've strengthened your diaphragm in that direction and the muscles that worked there. And, and I'd say, you know, the inhalation is definitely probably the area you want to be stronger, if anything, you know, arguably, sure. but, but you also need the muscles to work in the other way. Right. And so if you work them so much in one way, it's like anything you can move in one more of one direction. Um, so I started to balance my breathing out with different methods and and uh, seek to add in just different things and learn more about different breathing techniques for different purposes. So you just didn't want to get dogmatic and, and say, you know, this one particular line of thought is the particular line of thought. Right. There was too much out there. And, and it sounds like you were very curious about, you know, finding what would bring balance and alignment. Right. So, so talk a little bit about that. So if you're, um, we use the term connected breathing a lot, right? And I think a lot of people don't really understand what that means. Right. And it's one thing to experience it, something else to, you know, like hear someone talk about it. Right. But when you're talking about connection, the connection that you had in the fight game, 
right? And then you brought it back to the breathing. And I had this similar connection when I was doing the breathing. What, what does that look like for you? What does that connection mean to you? All right, great question. Um, so when I use the term connected, I'm using it in a few different ways. So connected breathing <clears throat> helps me get deeply connected. To yourself? To myself okay. and my physiology. The connected breathing, to clarify too, if anybody's listening and is, isn't sure of this, the connected breath is one that doesn't have a pause at the top or the bottom. And there's so many different breathing techniques that have pauses at the top or bottom that are great. Mm-hmm. And so it's good just for, a descriptor. So it's a descript. The connected breathing is a description of a breath that has no top or bottom, mm-hmm. and you keep it going. There's no pause. You Got just it. keep it going. Um, but I was then speaking to the connection that I had during those competitions and those, mm-hmm. those fights, and as well as when I'm doing the connected breathing. Um, and so what I mean by that is, yeah, you when you do this breath work um, and some other similar breathing. Um, modalities that, that are similar, you unlock different feelings inside your body. You release chemicals, um, lots of chemicals, um, and you start to become aware and feel when this happens, right? So, and you felt it, I'm assuming, right? I did, yeah. And you've, you've uh, experienced it. So, as you start to implement this breathing, you unlock these chemicals, you feel them released, you start to become very familiar with them. And so I was, I had become familiar with them in another setting in the, the fight world and competition and wrestling, even in boxing and kickboxing, and, you know, and, and we've all, a lot of us, I think probably all, mostly, uh, most of us have experienced this at some level, you know, whether we trigger our fight or flight response when we're, when we're in a situation that's frightening, when maybe when your children have been in danger or when you've been in danger or when you've competed on an athletic field um, in the military and so, you know, so many different settings. We, we've all experienced this, I would say the majority of us. And so I had experienced it over and over in a competitive setting where I felt that adrenaline and I got used to getting in that space, but it was very, um, it was very, uh, segmented or it was just in, okay, when I get in, it just happens. When I get in to that cage and that door closes and the referee announces my name, it's on like, and I know what's going to happen and boom. So, and I started to play with controlling that and stuff, but really it just kind of happened on its own. And, um, and so, and I noticed though in the competition, right, it would, I would sometimes have a slow start because you know, too, you're not in the, in practice when you're sparring, sometimes it doesn't kick on the same, you know, it doesn't kick on, you know, this isn't, this isn't the real thing. Right. And we are, we've all heard of those players or competitors who they don't really step up in practice, sure. but they really, they, they really elevate when it matters and when it counts. Right. And that's probably that adrenaline, you know, cause they know it's, it's go time. And, um, but so that had kind of disappeared and I craved that. And so I would just, I got into a routine in my, in my life and my, uh, my daily or weekly routine where in order to feel grounded, I would have to push myself to the limit just to settle myself. Cause I had all this energy and just didn't know what to do with it. And I was like, what, what, you know, what's going on? Why am I feeling just so unsettled and ungrounded and just, uh, uneasy, you know, I would go run up Camelback mountain mm. as fast as I could until, you know, I could, I couldn't move. I would time myself, you know, five times a week up that mountain. Wow. That was like my escape. Um, <clears throat> but I would have, you know, I, I, after years of this, I realized, and it was wear and tear on my body, you know, and I was into health and I'm like, you know, this is healthy in some respects, but 
I don't think it's that healthy overall because I'm like almost needing this yeah. to just feel normal. Right. And it, maybe it's not so good. Like what's going on here? <clears throat> so I started to explore that. So that was kind of the, then when I, the first time I did the breathing, I got such in a deep state that I don't want to say it didn't take me back to the fighting, but it got me in that almost euphoric state that I felt before, you know, that was very similar to um, that space you're in um, when you're just at a deep connection with yourself. And um, and so I was just blown away. I'm like, wow, I'm here in my living room and just feel it's such peace and, um, you know, after, during the retentions and during the meditation. So um, really powerful. And as you do this, right, you become more familiar um, with controlling that you know just like the uh the experiment you know when the dog salivates right um you're tr you're you're consciously triggering these chemicals to be released through your breath and then you're becoming aware of them and then you start to gain the ability to control some of them mm. and influence them mm -hmm. and that's interesting that that uh jogs my memory um i'm wondering if you could tell the story about the scorpion sting oh yeah yeah of course um, we're going to have to do another more well-made video. I, the video footage was great. Um, that my friend Carly with good, my goodbye media, uh, did, but we had no preparation of like what I was going to say, how I was going to explain this. So the scorpion experiment, I guess I could call it that. That's what I'll call it. Um, that's what it is now. That's what it is. Yeah. That's <laughs> what it is. It's happened a few, a few times, but the way it started was I was out, um, at my dad's place, I did. I took my dad and my brother through the breath work, and I went on his deck. It was summer, three years ago, and my foot was, uh, it just felt like a tiny, the tiniest little prick on my toe. Looked down, there was a bee on my toe, stinging me. Mm. Pulled him off, pulled it out. I'm like, that's like the light. I, I didn't even feel that. I just like I wouldn't. I almost didn't look down. I almost didn't look down. I had like almost had an itch, you know. And this thing stung me. Clearly, it was a, you know. You didn't feel it at didn't all. Didn't feel it. At all, just like almost, just like somebody, you know, something like made me look down, but I didn't feel it. So I knew the breath work um, reduced pain and um, anti-inflammatory and did something with your pain receptors. That's really all I knew at the time. But then I got stung. Like, wow, like that's pretty impressive. Like that I just did a few rounds of these breathing. I didn't feel this. Mm -hmm. And so being from Arizona, you know, we get used to scorpions out here, and I'd never been stung. I've no people, no people that get stung, and um, in my landscape business. Um, I've had uh, coworkers and employees that have, have been uh, been stung before. Sure. And uh, I'd never been stung 15 years being here. So I start talking about, I wonder, like, <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, I'm in no pain after I do the breathing. I'm like, I don't really have pain anyway. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I feel good all the time. I don't, I don't suffer from too much pain. So I didn't, that was the first time I felt the effects of the anti um, pain of the Wim Hof method. Mm -hmm. And so I got this idea from that. And I said, what if I got, I wonder, a scorpion's thing, you know, is so much more powerful. I wonder if you'd, you'd feel it a little bit. It would still hurt how much it would affect. And so I started telling people about this. Like, what, how could I, you know, make this as I went down the Wim Hof instructor um, course and stuff. People had all these stories of, you know, their back pain going away, their inflammation, all this stuff, you know, and, and the different experiments Wim was doing. Mm -hmm. And um so I'm just talking this up and people, you know, we're, some of my friends are trying to set it up. I'll get you a scorpion. I'll watch you get stung. You know, they'll, yeah, we'll do it. And, um, friends with, air yeah, quotes, right? yeah, they, they love the idea. <laughs> Everybody seems to love the idea. So, um, but I'm like, I want this to be not just some like ridiculous stunt, like even though it, it is of course still, but sure. I want there to be some type of like, 
point to it, even if it's just for myself. Like, what am I testing here? And I said, maybe like, what if I went and I have some friends that are doctors, so I brought it up to them. What if you stung me? Can you measure pain on a physical level, like through so many type of devices? And mm-hmm. I was going through all this stuff and <clears throat> and thought that I was, the only way to really test it was, right, get stung by a scorpion without doing the breathing and then get stung with it and compare the two and have it done in the same place. You know, but I'm like, what am I going to use as a testing you know, is there any test going to be done on like my blood pressure or any, any actual data taken, or is this just going to be my subjective experience? Right. And so I didn't know. So I just talked about it and I go out, I'm having a, a, a pool party at my house and having some friends and their children over and my kids are there. And, um, I go out to clean up some of the sticks that my sons brought on my patio, my front patio, I grab one scorpions right there and just jab, jabs me right in the finger. Uh. And it was like a lightning bolt, you know? through me, you know, right through my entire arm, a lot of pain, mm-hmm. um, immediate pain, you know, and, um, just hurt really bad, you know? So I never, I didn't want to get stung just happened by accident. I started to do the Wim Hof breathing and felt like it helped. And the pain was gone re- relatively quickly. Um, started looking up stuff on the internet, had still had the pool, still had the party. Everybody came over, you know, was in pain and kind of got tingly down my whole arm. So the whole, um, it was my left arm got like mm-hmm. all you know, numb and tingly and man, it, it hurt. It was like an instant sting of like, you know, maybe 20 or 30 bee stings. Like it was Jeez. just a bit jolt. Have you been stung before? I have not, man. Yeah. So people, in the same club, people experience different, you know, things. Some people are like, Oh, it's not that bad. And, but it wasn't like the end of the world, but it was, it was a sharp electric. Well, you bolt. said it went all the way up your arm. That's, yeah. that's pretty severe. Yeah. All yeah. the way up your arm. Yeah. Um, and so there I had my control, you know, yeah. and I didn't even ask for it. <laughs> well, you kind of did. Yeah, I did. I, I did ask for it. I should say I did ask for it. That was when yeah. I start. That's when I really started paying attention to what I asked for. You asked for it, buddy. It's been that <laughs> moment on, and it, even before that, I've really started to pay attention. Where even the things that are in my, you know, the the, the secret, you know, right. I'm sure you're familiar with that, and and so many people talk about that and karma, and but I'll tell you, man, it's pretty unreal when the things that you just start thinking. And want to happen, just start happening. And that was just one example. But I mean, it's, it's been a snowball the last two years. It just hasn't stopped. And so I'm like, have to sit back and be like, this is ridiculous. You know, <laughs> the universe really is working for me. And what I'm asking for, I'm not even verbalizing these things sometimes and they're coming. But so that was a good example. So I ended up, um, you know, I have a commercial landscape business, like I told you. And I have a handful of great guys. And I had one of these one uh, young um, guy who was working for me, um, who was out at a property and he was supposed to clear out all the lantana. We were replacing the plants and he comes back into the shop at the end of the day. And he's like, Jesse, there are tons of scorpions. The homeowner, um, or the board president was at a commercial property. She's telling us this whole area is infested with scorpions. I can't believe you're having this work out there. Like, what are you going to do if we get stung? And I go, listen, um, I think his name was Jose. I go, listen, Jose. Um, he's like 22. Have you been stung? No, I haven't been stung. I don't want to beg. I've been stung. It's it's not that bad. But listen, here's what I'm going to do. If you can grab one of those scorpions, bring it back to the, the shop and the office, I'll let the scorpion sting me in front of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and if I, you know, Challenge I'll accepted. show, I'll show yeah. you, man. Don't be scared. Just go out there. It's okay. If you find a scorpion, bring it back to me. I want him, you know, so he like his jaw dropped. He got a big smile. 
you know, so I got no complaints out of him again. He was like, wow, <laughs> our boss is wild. You know what? This is great. crazy. Yeah. This guy's crazy. I'll sure. I'll go back. You know, so from what, so it worked. So one day he didn't want to go back. And so three days later, you know, we're working on that job. It's a regular account of ours. He, he ends up, I get a call from the supervisor, my supervisor, Tim, Jesse, Jose got the scorpion. And I'm like, Oh, inside. I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> I got to do this today. You got to do it. I got to do it today. Put today's it the day. I go, today's the day. Today's the day. So I go in my office, they get there, they have it in a Seven Eleven cup and I do the breathing and I make sure, right. I'm going to do, I'm going to do four rounds instead of three rounds. I'm doing four and I'm going deep into the breathing. So yeah, I videotape myself and, and uh, my friend helped me videotape. And so lo and behold, I get the, the, the little guy with the, it was a bark, Arizona bark scorpion. I get him and <clears throat> I got the chemicals. I feel the adrenaline that I've released in my body and you feel amazing. You know, you know, you feel so good and almost like a mix between like completely at peace between so connected to your body and just vibrating and just like nothing could hurt you almost like you just feel good. And so, uh, you know, one of the, one of the guy's brothers had been, I didn't know this at the time had been bitten and hospitalized really badly, oh, really? Almost, almost died, I guess, supposedly. Um, and I didn't know this, but he was the one saying, no, Jesse, don't do this. Don't do this. You know, you were freaking him out. I was freaking him out. I yeah. scared them, you know? So I let it sting me. And it was like, when it pricked me, I felt the poison dissipate. And it was almost like I could see it because I could feel it flowing like warm, like, like just warmth. It was like coming into me and, it was like a good feeling if I, if you can have that, I felt no pain, but just the power of the, the poison and feeling it flow through my body. And I just held it there and the thing kept stinging me. Really? It stung me like three times in that same Jeez. finger that I'd been stung with months earlier. Wow. Um, and there was no pain. Did you get any swelling? No swelling, no Nothing? pain. There's a little tiny little red mark around. And now instead of it working its way up, cause in the first time I got stung, so that arm was numb for about a day. For like at least 12 to 24 hours it was numb and tingly kind of like like it fell asleep mm -hmm. that's what it felt and you kind of it's kind of like mm, not you're not you're not at ease with it because you can tell like something's wrong with your whole arm sure. you know it's not working or feeling properly so it it's a little bothersome and i know people get more nerve damage that that get stung and different amounts of nerve damage so this time nothing it kind of got vibrating and went numb just on the hand mm -hmm. that i get bit from and so that was it so i mean just for me, the really the main. I mean, there was really, unfortunately, I didn't know like data testing or or testing this any other way. But my personal experience, and it was zero pain from this uh, this bark scorpion, and I didn't do anything different. I mean, I knew it was coming, so you know that was the only difference is I right. got hit really without knowing, and then I got hit and I knew it. <coughs> but the breathing was, of course, the main difference, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, no pain. So it's pretty amazing. impressive what ten minutes of breathing can do, and and I don't think any type of I don't know any other pain pain medication that they have on the market I mean I'm not too familiar with it but I don't know any type of pain medication you could take something and not feel a scorpion bite yeah for sure so well, that was uh that, that's just a crazy story man I can't first of all I can't believe you did that voluntarily <laughs> but secondly man like uh the difference was only the breathing yeah and the difference was vast in that you just had a little bit of a sensation thing on your hand, but nothing up your arm like you had in the first time. Right, yeah. It's insane. So it was a cool little experiment. It's amazing. Yeah, so I haven't seen the video. I'm going to have to check that yeah, out. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Or yeah, I'll, I'll shoot it over to yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. We'll put that in the show notes. Bro, yeah. I don't think people are going to believe that you voluntarily 
did that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's fucking amazing, bro. Yeah, I mean, people are all into, you know, it's kind of reminds me of this philosophy of um, hormesis and eustress, right? That really the Wim Hof method is really representative of is that utilizing um, breath, but not only that, but the primal stress and real stress of cold water right. to do it at the right dose and gradually in the right amount to build that resiliency up of your body, right? To combat that. And part of me really thinks that there's some power in and medicine in, and we already know this, a lot of cultures use poison from animals, right? To deal with stuff. And I'm very curious about that area of medicine because it really makes sense to me now feeling it mm-hmm. at a different level of that. It was almost like if like uh, the area around me, almost like I, almost like you, you eat out of your garden, you get mm-hmm. stung from the insects that are in your area. I mean, it sounds crazy, but um, part of me would love to like learn more and have them do more tests. They've, I just saw something come out. I think it was from Harvard that that scorpion venom. Now they don't just let they don't sting people. You know, they they extract the venom and put it in medicine and, and it. it's like anti-cancerous and really all this this stuff um that there was a study in a, a article i read uh, about six months ago that i got to look up again but um but yeah so i think you know things around us in nature are meant for us to be careful of but also potentially uses medicine so um, by no means am i suggesting anybody gets stuck yeah but, uh, just to be clear yeah just to be don't clear. try this at home yeah don't do it yeah i think that makes sense though you uh it would not make sense evolutionarily for a human to be in an environment that he or she could not withstand on some level right i mean that just doesn't right. benefit the gene pool yeah and in fact i think it would work the opposite way right so to 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 to, to hear you talk about that and to hear the connection with all of the things that are around us, not just the good things. I think that's a really interesting way of looking yeah. at it. Yeah, it could. Yeah, it really leads you down to some like yeah, different thinking. Some different questions. Yeah, could, the, could the, the venomous insects around us be a tool for us to evolve yeah. our DNA even? Or be to, beneficial in some way. Right, be beneficial to evolve. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So are you guys going to be stinging people with scorpions over at Optimize? You know, I think we'll probably, I don't know if our, our uh, liability coverage will, will cover that. I'll have to talk to my uh, insurance company that about that. But um, We're offering this as a service now. I'm not going to lie. I have thought, seeing, seeing you know, the, the wild serious. and different things that people offer. Mm-hmm. Um, the power, the most powerful part about it is like, is that same, you know, mentality and teaching that Wim Hof brings. It's like, really, this is all about, part of it is all about showing people that, they're capable of so much more. And if you don't have that belief, if you don't believe it's not going to happen, if you don't believe you can overcome something or build the strength yourself or, you know, achieve a goal, right? Anything it's, you're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. You have to have that belief. So having some trust in your body and your belief system, um, and your capability that you are stronger and you have these tools to deal with the cold water, um, to deal with predators, I guess, even, um, is powerful. So how powerful would it be? I mean, for you, I'll ask you, like if you could sit down and breathe for 10 minutes and then have a, a really poisonous insect bite you and nothing happened, is that advantageous on any level to you? I don't know. I'm yeah, not really well, sure. I can tell you for me, it would be because I think 
just as an outsider looking at that situation, it would eliminate any sort of fear I had of that being, you know, uh, something that's going to sideline me forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? As so many people are afraid of every little thing. Like we have tarantulas in our backyard and I'm a huge arachnophobe, right? Yeah. But the interesting thing is the more I learn about them, the less fearful I am of them because they're actually beneficial. Right. And, um, there's a lot of them in this area. I found, uh, a diamond back in my front yard, you know, like there's a lot of different animals that are surrounded by here. We have lots of scorpions as well. So just knowing that, you know, these things aren't necessarily going to be your death now, I think adds to your peace of mind, adds to your overall wellness. Yeah. Well, we could, if we do another, um, if we get together again, sure. And you're open to it. Maybe we take this to the next level. Oh, right here, down the right here live. We'll get, oh, get a couple. And I, I, uh, I can assure you, you're a healthy individual. I could work up to that. have you pain-free getting stung if we'll, you're ready we'll, for it. We'll work up to it. Yeah. We'll work up to it. Can't be sure. in the center, though, because <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure. if the, I don't want to take this directly to the public. But. Right, right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'll definitely consider that. We'll definitely practice that for sure. Nice. I like it. All right, bro. Well, since Optimize is going to be opening soon, and you guys uh, obviously going to be private, providing lots of services, one of the big questions I want to ask you before we get off is uh, what does wellness look like or mean to you personally? Great question. Um, it's definitely evolved for me a lot, you know, coming coming from uh, an athlete um, who was so focused on performance and, you know, out-toughing somebody else. It was wellness um, had a different meaning. But really, um, with a lot of my training and, and connecting to people, wellness is so multifaceted. So... Anything really that we are putting into our bodies, seeing, hearing, uh, feeling, is is affecting our well-being, you know. And so, wellness to me is finding alignment within yourself and ease, you know, majority of the time. And so sometimes that includes using things that cause you discomfort and unease to 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 get very familiar with that state of ease. So, wellness is really, I think, a ever evolving journey really mm -hmm. uh, because when you're at a different place a different time you know your life is different than my life your relationships are different your career is different <clears throat> so wellness to you looks different than it does to me mm -hmm. and that's okay I think so I think uh, no one has a clear definition on what it means and so you know whatever is beneficial to you at the end seems to be you know the way that you should go so before I ask my last question, tell these guys where they can get in touch with you or Optimize online. Yeah, absolutely. So Optimize, uh, we got a website, Optimize, spelled um, with a Y, so O-P-T-I-M-Y-Z-E dot me. That's our website. We have a Facebook and Instagram page with the same spelling. Um, we are uh, promoting our founders memberships, which are heavily discounted high value membership where uh, our customers and our community and our partners or we already have members which is really exciting that we're growing our membership already before opening and <clears throat> this membership will allow you to full access to our equipment so you could come in and utilize the equipment at your leisure um, and a really huge part about this is for us as trainers, health coaches, Wim Hof, Wim Hof method instructors that are really familiar with utilizing cold water, heat, breathing, we're here to guide people in and we're here to make this center not just for the athlete. We really want it to be for the individual suffering, suffering from depression or anxiety because we know how powerful it is and we have close connections with so many people that uh, 
that these tools have changed their lives and really helped build uh, build resiliency in these individuals to overcome the issues. You know, we never say this stuff cures anything. It's like, no, you have the power. You have the power to build the resiliency. So the center, you'll have access to saunas, cold plunges, hot tubs, compression therapy, meditation devices, body scanners um, that'll be included with the membership. So you get full access to all that. You get a free body scan with your membership every six weeks that takes body composition, wow. full printout, so you can gauge your progress, and we will cater our recommendations based on how many times a week you could come in and utilize this equipment. You also get a free weekly, one weekly class included in your membership if you sign up as a Founders member, so that'll be a breath class, and we'll have daily classes um, in that. So you could follow me on uh, Facebook or Instagram, Jay Mooring, J-M-O-R-E-N-G, or Jesse Mooring is my Facebook. Jay Mooring is my tag on uh, Instagram. My personal brand is Breathworks, spelled uh, breath and then W-E-R-X, where I post and I have uh, a team of other instructors that are different parts of the country as well, where we put on workshops and events. And uh, yeah, just really excited to um, help people discover a different aspect of wellness. You know, so many of us are... Um, myself included with somebody who was pushing, pushing, pushing. I got to, my goal is to be in the gym this many times and I got to push harder and grind harder and that's all good. But what I've learned is one of the biggest pieces missing of people's health um, and wellness plan is really that time to connect with themselves and recover and utilize and build your inner strength right? Not the outer strength, not the, the weights and the, you know, I mean, that builds some inner strength too, of course, but our machines and our training is really about building up your inner strength, working the different systems, the nerve, retraining the nervous system to better deal with stress. And really, if you can't differentiate in your body consciously and subconsciously is having a hard time with stress and is in that low level state of stress for too long, your digestive system is shut down. It's not it's not working properly. You're not assimilating the nutrients in your food. So you can eat the the organic, local grown food, but if your stress levels are in balance, that's not even gonna get assimilated into your body. And so, um, your that's what our systems do. I think differently in our training. What we're promoting is uh, we're promoting a bunch of tools that are ways to build that inner strength and rewire your nervous system to better deal with the stresses that really I think are an epidemic right now um, that are causing a lot of the chronic illness we have. It's really our, it's really this, um, this environment we live that's really far-fetched from what we're, where we're meant to be. Mm -hmm. So we're using these powerful tools in a control manner really to get us, get us back there, connect us back with nature, connect us back with ourselves, with other growth-minded individuals and it's really special connecting with you because I met you along this journey too. Yeah. And the people that I meet um, through the breath work, through the Wim Hof method training, you know, through uh, just these uh, these circles of, of growth-minded individuals, it's really, uh, you know, we realize it's really about feeling more and opening our hearts and and being open to different emotions and things that maybe we haven't been dealing with. And maybe our training and our health training is is uh, leading us away from these things and not necessarily toward them, you know. So we mm -hmm. so our center really is one where we're gonna we're gonna run and face our issues and face our feelings and um, you know it's not a not a tough guy gym like I I was you know that yeah. that was my old training you know this is different so 
That's beautiful, man. I appreciate you sharing all that. And um, I encourage anyone to come and meet you and Michael and check out the facility. And um, I'm just curious, as you look at your life and this business that you're about to go into and open up and serve many, many people, the last question is simply this. What will success look like for you? My passion really lies in helping uh, others uncover their power and feel more and deal more with those uh, those things they, they haven't dealt with that are kind of yeah not not brought to the surface so my passion really is helping individuals overcome physical and mental illness is a big part of my mission um, the illnesses and the the mental issues and challenges my brother had are issues that so many people are dealing with and myself even I was somebody who was really not even knowingly not facing those issues and running away from them for so long and this work has helped me turn my training toward the in, you know toward the inner work and um, so yeah my mission really will be measured on the amount of lives that I change and the amount of people that I impact and the love that's created in the community dude that is so beautiful I appreciate you and have so much gratitude for you being here today and yes, I'm more than happy to have another episode with you, bro. I know we scratched the surface on a lot of, lot of topics. So will you come back another time and we can go deeper? We'd love to. All right, love guys. To be here. Thank you so much. Absolutely, guys. So be sure and check out uh, Jesse. Be sure and check out Optimize. And on behalf of Jesse and myself, we will talk to you guys in the next episode. Until then, take care. See you guys.